This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. In the studio with me is a woman I've interviewed on the radio many times here on CKNW, a well-known Vancouver criminal defense lawyer with the Acumen Law Group. Always a pleasure to welcome Kyla Lee back to the airwaves of CKNW. Thank you for having me. It's nice to have you with us here. And I was explaining to our listeners earlier, we were going to talk to you today about these uh, pullovers, these breathalyzers, these random, completely random breathalyzer tests that are all of a sudden happening randomly and frequently in the city of Calgary. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole point was, if they were to randomly and frequently begin in Vancouver, what do you do? So we go to the website, we pull up the info, we contact Kyla, and, 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 and she agrees. You agreed to come on the show. Thank you. And then we poked around the website a little bit more <laughs> and found your blog. This week is uh, Eating Disorder Awareness Week in British Columbia. And uh, you are at kylalee.ca, your own personal website where you blog about any number of things, mm-hmm. got real personal uh, beginning today with It's Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and I am coming out. Tell yeah. us your story, please. Um, well, I, I struggled for uh, about 15 years with a very bad case of anorexia, and um, I'm now seven years in recovery uh, this month, so it's a kind of an Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, how, so uh, back us up. When did, when did you even become aware of the fact that your eating habits weren't particularly normal, mainstream? I started to realize I probably had some type of a problem around grade 10. Um, my eating had always been abnormal. And I thought that it was just sort of like a peculiar quirk, like I was just different. Mm-hmm. And um, around grade 10, I experienced a bunch of stress and I just started like giving away my food to my classmates, to my teachers. And uh, I lost a lot of weight very rapidly and people were starting to go, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. And we think something might be wrong here. So that, it was the stress in your uh, grade 10 life that sort of triggered all of this uh, process of denial and, and, and all. So what was, were there stressors at school? I mean, uh, the kind of social stuff that still goes on amongst grade 10 students? Oh, yeah. The type of social stuff that many, many high school students face, which is just sort of bullying and and feeling ostracized and not really fitting in. But it just kind of came to a head at that point in time. And so your reaction to all of this external pressure was to stop eating. Yes. It it was sort of a, a weird reaction where if I stopped eating, I stopped feeling as upset about things. It was a way to kind of control my emotions through controlling my food. Interesting. So, uh, if this starts and you're in grade 10, how long was it that you were able to, because you, you, you were being quirky and just you and all of that young woman stuff and you know, developing your style and all. You, you can get away with a lot. You mm-hmm. can cover things up when you're young and, 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 and fast. So yeah. how long did it take people like your parents and, and your closest circle of friends to pick up on the fact that this is really not, it's going sideways here? You know, I think my parents noticed something was going on a lot sooner than they ever admitted, but they were really lost. They didn't know what to do. There were, where we grew up, there were no resources mm-hmm. for dealing with somebody like me. It was never something that they'd had any experience with. And so they kind of just tried to encourage me to eat. And the way eating disorders work is they help you find creative ways to figure out how not to eat. So uh-huh. everything they came up with, I would find a way around. Interesting. So were you at the point ever so ill because you were malnourished that you couldn't function, you couldn't go to school? 
No, I never got so ill that I couldn't function or go to school. Um, but I did get eventually, years and years later, so ill and so thin that I couldn't function emotionally. The The sort of trick of not eating and covering up my emotions stopped working. I'd, my body had eaten all of its fat and now I was an emotional wreck where the littlest thing would set me off mm. and I'd be crying and I'd be inconsolable and I didn't know what was going wrong and it was just my body was in a sheer state of starvation. Interesting stuff. So who was there? Where did you get your first clue that, I mean, you were a highly organized person. I know you well enough to say that <laughs> on the public airwaves. So, and you, you organized your life in, around not eating, mm-hmm. but showing the world that you were still kind of, you know, normally consuming food that you never ate. So how did you prioritize your food? How did you not die? Did you eat actually nutritious things and, and put everything else to the side? No, no. In fact, the, some of the things that I eliminated first in my diet were nutritious things. At first I eliminated meat and then I eliminated dairy and then I eliminated carbs and I eliminated sugar. And so I was basically sustaining on anything that started with the letter P, which was ultimately what I got down to. I would only eat food if it was the letter P and it wasn't the color brown and it wasn't the color orange. Oh my. And again, there's no rationale behind no. that. No, absolutely not. It was completely irrational. But at, once you're at that point of, of starvation, your body will take whatever nutrients it can get mm-hmm. from whatever source it can get them from. Um, it's a, something you your body does called homeostasis, where it will suck nutrients out of other your organs. It will suck nutrients from where it needs them to keep feeding your brain just to keep your heart pumping, to keep your lungs breathing, and to keep you going. It's sort of your onboard involuntary survival system, isn't it? It is. Interesting. So how, how did you... Uh, get to the point, Carla, where, because you did this all very quietly. I mean, people were noticing, people, your your friends, and eventually your mom and dad started to say something about it, but were you just resisting any attempts by kind or general attempts from any interference at all? I was really resistant, and I I didn't recognize it at the time. At the time, I did go to some programs. I did one through St. Paul's where I did a, uh, it was a readiness program for an inpatient process, and when it got time to go to their inpatient process, I said, you you know what, this isn't going to work for me. It's it's not working out. Uh, I don't think that this is the right program for me. Now I recognize that was me going, I'm not ready to give up my eating disorder. And ah. it wasn't until Paul Doroshenko, my my colleague, um, recognized and, and confided in him about my situation that he said, look, we got to get you help. And he found a place that I was willing to go to, paid for it, put me on a plane and sent me there all you, within a week. You went off to Brandon, Manitoba, as, as <laughs> yeah. you say. In, in your, in a, it's a Kyla Lee, Kyla, K-Y-L-A, Kyla lee.ca friends it's uh, kyla's personal website go to the blog section and it's today's uh, i spent almost 15 years of my life wrestling with anorexia nervosa this month marks seven years from when i finally entered my journey with recovery was the journey did the journey begin on that plane ride to manitoba to that uh, facility where you spent a couple of weeks it spent uh, it began about a week before then um basically paul made me sign a contract that i had to eat a certain number of calories every day or I couldn't keep my job. Oh, he yeah. got you on the legalities, <laughs> he didn't did, he? Yeah. <laughs> Can't breach a contract. Well, and there you are, and you wouldn't either. That's 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 very interesting. So, by that time, you he he fooled you into signing a contract and taking. But you knew by then you were that many years mm-hmm. along into this problem. Uh, And by then, you would also have recognized how many people die from eating disorders. When did that start to connect? Uh, That started around 
maybe a year or so before then, and it's about 20% of people with an eating disorder will die yeah. uh, as a result of it. Um, and as I got worse and worse over that year, I kept thinking, you know, I'm getting closer to being in this 20% number. Mm-hmm. Were you feeling suicidal at all? Was, was any of this, I mean, I, it started out as stress from bullying and social pressure, but did it ever drive you to the point where well, I'm basically going to starve myself to death? This will be now be my, my game plan. I think that that was probably subconsciously what I was trying to do, but I don't think I was ever consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to kill myself by right. just not eating. Right. It's a very inefficient way to do it. It certainly is. <laughs> so throughout all of this process, uh, hills and valleys, good days, bad days, mm-hmm. but you were you were in this on this strange odyssey for how many years? 15? 15, yeah. So at what point along that 15-year journey did you recognize before you uh, had to sign the contract and go off, when did you realize that this is, I could die? Around the middle of of my sort of undergraduate years, I started becoming involved in online discussion forums for people with eating disorders. This is in law school too, isn't it? It was, it was throughout law school yeah. and in my undergraduate. And there were people that were in the discussion forums that I got to know, um, never knew them in person. Just online chat knew, groups, eh? Yeah, knew them online and they would die. Wow. Like I lost my friends. The same thing I have. So that sort of started to bring it home and made me think about recovery, but it still took years and years before I was ready to actually, you know, put both feet in the water. Right. But still, what a what a jolt it must have been to, even though you didn't actually know the person eye to eye, you had developed a rapport with an individual online, and all of a sudden that person's gone from the same issue that you were struggling with together. It was, it was like losing somebody that I'd known for years because we shared things that were so intimate um, that we know, couldn't talk about with anybody else because we had nobody in our lives who really understood what we were going through. And, and is, was that part of the problem all the way along, even though well-intentioned relatives and moms and dads, and they all came to you and said, we, we, we know something's going on and it's probably not very much fun. What can we do to help? And saying nice things, but not really getting through to you. Well, exactly. You know, it's, it's hard to, unless you've been through it, to identify how to communicate to somebody that you know they have a problem and that you're there to support them and to put those structures in place that allow them to take advantage of that opportunity. Since, sorry, since you've, since you've been... Uh, I, I don't want to say sober because that's not the right word, but you know <laughs> what I mean. You, since you've become an eater mm-hmm. again, <laughs> seven years back uh, with the rest of us, have you, uh, as, just as a person, have gone back to any of those chat forums that you used to go to and, and being the voice of experience or mentoring or anything of that? I haven't. I've stayed away from them because I don't want to be sucked back into uh-huh. any of that. You know, and those voices are still in my head. I still hear a voice that says, you know, don't eat, skip your dinner. This will be better for you if you just don't eat. And I've just had to learn to tell it to shut up and go away. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to a place that's going to feed it and to allow it to take over me again. One of the things that you did putting yourself through school, you were able to do some modeling work. Now, as a young woman who is thin, uh, attractive for people in that industry, so it really didn't impair your ability to look after yourself financially, did it? No. And in fact, being in the modeling industry kind of encouraged Sure. I was always surrounded by people who were thinner than me, so I never felt like I was too thin. Interesting. And of course, were they were a lot of those people, those girls that we were working with in the same kind of denial mode that you were? Or, oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So no surprises then. No, it was it, it's not surprising at all. Um, and I mean, I think you can tell when you look at models, a lot of them do really struggle. A lot of them are also 
prepubescent and it's hard to try and compete with people whose bodies haven't gone through puberty and so who haven't formed you know hips like adult women have sure and, and shoulders like adult women have and you're competing with that yeah exactly so how are you feeling now and, and I, it's interesting that you would uh, you talk about the little voice that still hasn't shut the hell up even after seven years and is that likely to be with you for the rest yes it's going to be there forever and it's just i just have to you know tell it to go somewhere. I won't say those words on the radio, though. Oh, oh, darn, darn sporting of you. But really, so that's a tendency that you know you, you carry that you're always going to have to deal with. Yes, it's just like anybody who struggles with addiction or any mental health issue. It's a lifelong journey with recovery, and it's going to be something that, you know, even when I'm uh, in my dying days, I'm still going to be struggling with. Uh, Attorney Kyla Lee in studio, uh, not talking the law today, talking about a blog she has uh, written at kylalee.ca about her uh, life experience with an eating disorder. And as promised, we are uh, delighted to welcome Deborah Grimm to the program. Ms. Grimm is one of the founders of the Looking Glass Foundation for Eating Disorders, a caring community of prevention and support for people struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating of any types. Deborah, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you with us. You listened to Kyla's story, very touching story. I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this several times uh, lately. Uh, I've heard this for many, many years. I've been a part of the uh, the movement uh, to improve care for almost 20 years. And so Kyla's story um, is extremely tender and close to my heart. Indeed. Uh, how long has the Looking Glass Foundation been up and running here in Vancouver, Deborah? Well, we began as Three Moms at a Kitchen Table okay. in the late 90s. And in 2002, we uh, became official. So that's the date I'm going to use. And okay. we launched ourselves as a... Uh, a we came together... To be community for each other and to reach out and create community and augment the programs that were already ongoing. Um, as you mentioned earlier, there weren't that many. Um, yeah. So we decided to uh, put our hands and feet to change. What's the difference between an eating disorder or disordered eating? I, it sounds semantics, but you wrote that on your website for a reason. We did. Um, often um, people, um, I want to say they get alarmed as they should. But there are certain things. Uh, disordered eating often comes before eating disorders, but not necessarily. And a disordered eating can be uh, a, a, a curious way of managing your food. What happens is often that curious way um, it, it sort of accelerates and becomes eating disordered, which, as we've heard with Kayla's story, can take you down a very big rabbit hole. Yeah, and, 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 okay. And it's just eating foods that only begin with the letter P. There's yeah. a strange management technique that uh, sounds very very in line with what uh, the, the, the disordered eating is all about. So the reason you're with us, uh, Deborah, for just a few moments more is simply to let people listening to Kyla's story and recognizing that there are still eating disorder realities in our midst is that, that we also have resources in our midst, unlike when Kyla was a kid going through this pretty much by herself you have the looking glass foundation for eating disorders right here in vancouver we we came together as i say to to augment things and our biggest goal was to create the first residential center for youth with eating disorders which took us 10 years to do um, but we finally did it uh, we started on galliano island and uh and then with phsa support we moved to vancouver uh, are now located on angus drive 
and work that we run that in collaboration. PHSA runs it, and they work with us in tandem. Looking Glass supports enhancement programs. We raise funds to create enhancement programs and support for the for the residents. As well, along the way, we created other um, programs. We have a, a hand-in-hand program that is literally a program where we have trained volunteers that are overseen by a therapist that um, we set it up such that you are trained, then you meet with, you are matched, and you meet once a week, face-to-face. Uh, the, kind, the kind of people Kyla didn't have available. I asked her specifically about that earlier on, and there's exactly. the sorts of resources simply weren't there. Deborah, I'm afraid I'm out of time, but I am grateful for yours. Uh, our hats are off to you, especially on this particular week. Uh, it's going to be a busy one for you, I hope. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it will be. And Kyla, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this story. This is not the typical conversation we've had uh, since you and I have met a couple of years ago, but it's deeply appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Deborah? Thank you. Our, our pleasure entirely.